0: This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors.
1: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Muscall and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
0: It's a breakfast of Warburton's giant crumpet toasted with... What have I got? I'm going to have spready cheese and a sweet chilli sauce. I am getting a good, balanced breakfast today as I'm off to meet a dragon. Deborah Maiden is one of the UK's most successful entrepreneurs. She's invested millions of her own fortune in small businesses over the last 15 years on BBC Two's Dragon's Den. She's known for quite an intimidating interrogation style but away from the boardroom, I know that she's a keen dancer. I don't know if you remember her sashaying her way through the tango when she took part in Strictly Come Dancing. I suspect she's got a fun side under that steely exterior. We're going to be speaking over video call today. And I want to know especially about her days as a bingo caller and whether you still look in the reduced price chiller section, When you sold your business for 33 million? Basically, I want some pro tips on being an absolute badass like she is. Deborah Meaden, welcome to Comfort Eating. Oh, thank you very
2: much for inviting me. What a great what a great thing to do. Comfort eat.
0: It's so lovely to see you. I haven't seen you face-to-face, for some years. Did I once meet you at an Attitude Awards? Oh, gosh, you've got a good memory. We sat on the same table. I remember sitting on that awards ceremony table, Attitude Awards, and Abigail Clancy was sitting between us. And she was so beautiful and slim and elegant. And I was so relieved when she picked up a big piece of bread and buttered it thickly and shoved it in her mouth.
2: Well, relieved, but also a bit annoyed. Because (laughs) truly, if you or I had done that, it would physically instantly (laughs) gone onto our hips. But Abby,
0: (laughs) she can eat anything. (laughs) So this podcast is a chance for me to find out what famous faces eat in the privacy of their own home. And in your case, because you are known for being a successful and wealthy woman, I think many listeners... Will expect that you exist purely on a diet of truffle. <laughs> Tell me, Deborah, what are you presenting me with today?
2: Well, I'm presenting you with probably my favourite food combination of all time, and that is sausages with marmite spread on top
0: of them. <laughs> no. Yes. I can smell it the moment I've picked it. Oh. Don't you like marmite? Are you a marmite eater? I mean, I do. I like marmite butter. That's a very fancy thing in restaurants now, marmite butter. I oh, really? I do like marmite. Mm. Well, oh, I'm, do, I'm spreading it. Can't, I almost can't but do it. it okay, do it. Do it. Do it. It's lovely. How thick do I spread the marmite?
2: Quite thick. So, so... Are these pork sausages? No, well, mine are vegan. I've gone plant-based and I've had to readjust all of my snacks, but this is the only snack... That I've been able to do. Look, big lump of Marmite. Look at that. Deborah, Look at
0: that. that is the Marmite spreading mm, 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 of somebody that is mm. a little bit wrong in the head. I've got to say it. <laughs> mm. It mm. almost looked like a kind of a profiterole that you were putting you in your mouth. Any Marmite? Have you got any Marmite on that? That is what I've done. You need more Marmite. I need more Marmite. Hang on. <laughs> I've never... <laughs> I've never eaten so much marmite in one go. It's very salty. I think maybe that's maybe that's why I like it. Are you bearing it? It's strangely compelling. You see? To me, I couldn't imagine making this as your main snack. I could imagine eating it randomly out of the fridge. But would you carry a plate of these into the living room? Yes.
2: I'm looking at the three left there thinking I might not have got enough sausages. What other things do you eat Marmite on? Oh, toast and I mix it with peanut butter as well. I think Marmite makes peanut butter better. Yeah, I think that's it. Although I will have a Marmite, a cup of Marmite as a drink as well. So I do like a Marmite drink. Marmite with hot water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. As a beverage. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. Yes. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've got Marmite drips down my chin now. I can't see myself.
0: Have I? You absolutely haven't got oh. a Marmite. <laughs> Are you a person that's, that spills and drips food a lot? I am. I wish I was more graceful, but I often come back from MasterChef and I've got food in my hair. <laughs> so,
2: so I know. My husband's amazing. My husband wears fresh, white, crisp linen shirts, he wears them all day and they end up looking fresh, white, crisp linen. I get home and I think, I look a little bit like Les Patterson. You can see my, you can, my journey of the day. What did I have for breakfast? What did I have for lunch? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know <laughs> life's too short to keep your shirts white.
0: You and your older sister Gail were born in Essex. And it sounds like your mum, Sonia, had to support you both on her own after she and your biological dad divorced. Tell me about your life when you were a young child. Well, actually, we were born, both Gail and I were born in Taunton, completely
2: coincidentally. But as very, very small, a baby, mum went down to West. because she went where the work was. So um, she was working in the Butlins there in Clacton. And because she was working, single parent family, you know, she she was on a... She was 22 years old with two young children. That's uh, quite something. And she was working crazy, crazy hours. And she obviously felt the best thing for us was to have some stability in our lives. So we went to live with a Auntie Angela and Uncle Derek, who weren't, weren't related. I think Mum paid them to look after us. Um, but she had four girls of her own. And uh, so there were four girls of her own. And then there was Gail and I in this tiny, tiny house. In Belfield Avenue in Brightlingsea, Auntie Angela had she was probably five foot three, five foot four, dark curly hair, um, ringletty curly hair. Uncle Derek was he must have been six foot two, six foot three, shock of white hair, a fisherman, and he used to take us winkling, um, and and one of you know I'd sit on his shoulders or we'd take it in turns we'd fight over who would sit on Uncle Derek's shoulders. And um, I I remember it with amazing fondness, you know. When I think about why I love gardens, well, she gave us a little patch of the garden and we planted it up and we learnt about all the flowers and all that, and I I still remember flower names, you know. So I think she sparked a lot of things that I love today, I think, sparked back to um,
0: Auntie Andrew and Uncle Derek. I love those people um, from our past that we call auntie and Uncle that weren't really our aunties or uncles, it was just somebody that was close to us, that your parents kind of said that we were auntie. <laughs>
2: we never you, don't ask, do you? <laughs> you don't ask, no. do you? You don't ask. But do you know what I really, really remember? And when I think now as an adult, Gail and I never felt that we weren't her children. You know, we, we used to get a Bunty comic and it went from the oldest girl down to the youngest. It wasn't her children first and then us. Absolutely in age order, you know, and I think that sense of fairness has really stuck with me. What did you have as as treats around that point? So we used to get sixpence pocket money and I would go to the corner shop and buy a peppermint arrow and some blackjacks. But in the house, there was always a pantry and occasionally she'd open the door of the pantry and we'd we'd be allowed raisins, currants and raisins. You know, they weren't a thing, you know. They were like, oh, can we have some raisins? And and cubes of jelly, raw jelly as well. She used to let us have a cube of raw jelly. So it was it was honest food. She did make... The most wonderful rock cakes. I love a rock cake. Yeah. I like the raw mix of a rock cake. That's yeah. what I like. And yes. Gail would get to have the spoon and I'd get the bowl or the other way
0: around. So, uh, yeah. It sounds like your mum was working so hard. What was your relationship like with her at that time? We didn't see her.
2: I think uh, now talking about it as an adult... She was working till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So she didn't want to come and see us, upset us and then go away again. So we literally would live with Auntie, you know, Auntie Angela and Uncle Derek. And then we went to, we moved to Minehead in Somerset. She had a, another job in Minehead in Somerset. And that's the first time I really think that we spent time together.
0: It feels like from really early on, your images of women were, I mean, with your mum, really hardworking. Hardworking, resilient, and I
2: think I have always been a very confident person. And I think I don't know whether you're born with that or whether or not life teaches you that. But certainly, I had an example of a mother who was in really hard times. You know, mm. times were really hard for her. Uh, but she, there was no self pity. There was no, what am I going to do with myself? You know, that it was just right. How am I going to build us a good life? So, I've, you know, I think that, that definitely has left an, you know, it's left an impression on me.
0: When you were seven, you were sent to boarding school. What kind of pupil were you?
2: I should have loved school. I should have wanted to go to university, and I didn't. I didn't like school. I didn't like the restrictions. I don't like too many rules I don't like. I never have. And I think boarding school just was full of things I couldn't do. You don't like rules. I'm not good at rules. I'm not good at rules. Well, no, I am if I understand them. But I must, I must have been so annoying because I would even very, very tiny, I'd be forever. Why? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to wear it like that? And you, you know, and you just not I now understand as an adult when you've got hundreds of children
0: you've got to have rules but at the time I'm like well go and tell me why I've got to do that because that sounds silly to me. I'm always interested by people that went to boarding school and how it affects their attitude to food because I've got some friends that went to boarding school and now um, I take them with me when I'm reviewing because they'll literally eat anything that's put in front of them. (laughs) What did you eat when you were there?
2: I mean, it was just, it was filling us up, wasn't it, really? So they'd be, um, I mean, how is this even a meal? Cheese potato, which is literally mashed potato with cheese on top. How is that
0: even a meal? It sounds, I'm sorry, it's not a meal, but it should be. I, so just mashed potato with cheese, cheese, cheesy potato. Literally. And I absolutely, I love that. I absolutely love that. You were taken out of boarding school at 11 and you went back to Wiltshire, where it feels like you thrived when you got there. Your mum had moved there with her new husband, Brian. You had two younger sisters now, Emma and Cass. At this, well, you had your first flower stall at the age of seven, I heard. But what was it that attracted you to business, though, at such a young age?
2: they are natural entrepreneurs. I didn't know that's what they were, but there was a lot of conversation that was that went on. And there was a kind of assumption that, that you know, Gail and I would go into business. And even when I was 11 years old, I thought, I can't imagine me working for anybody because they're going to tell me what to do. And I'm going to be really annoying because I'm going to want to do my own thing. So I think independence, my fierce independence naturally led me into thinking I just want to control my own life I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it.
0: So when you first start thinking about businesses when you you know you're you're very young was there a specific thing that you needed money for what did you want to buy?
2: Oh well I have loved animals since I was Well, since I knew that I loved anything and I was desperate to buy a pony and my parents had said, well, well, you save up and buy one and you save up and you pay, you look after it and you pay the money to look after it. And and I think they thought that would be the end of it. Well... It wasn't, I thought, well, that's a very good idea. I will do that um so i, I you know i did I, I I worked hard and pocket money and selling flowers and whatever, and I got my first fifty pound pony and uh and of course i didn't I didn't really have the money to look after it. We at one point it was living in the garden, fifty quid pony,
0: what was he called Apollo Apollo, yeah, so you had him in the garden, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What did your parents say? (laughs) They're a bit annoyed,
2: but I think also kind of a bit pleased. And Gail Gail did exactly the same thing, by the way. She went, no, she came back with several dogs in our life and came back with a horse. I think they were quietly pleased that we kind of got on and did stuff. You know, it was, uh, although they didn't really want us to, and we did take responsibility and we did get jobs to make sure that we could look after the horses and feed them or whatever. Um, So I think they were quietly pleased.
0: I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you you left school at 16 and then you went and studied business in Brighton. I had an absolute
2: ball. I loved Brighton. I had the best time. My boyfriend was a graphic designer. I fell in with a load of people from the um, fashion college. And, um, and, you know, there was just stuff going on. It was just... Um, what was you your
0: style? <laughs> what did you... Stop. I love the fact that you're now just purposefully having amnesia about what went on in break. Uh, yeah. What did you... What was your look? What was
2: your style then? Oh, I-, I cringe now when I think of it. I bought myself a pair of pink satin harem pants. And I'm not tall. And harem pants are not great if you don't have really long legs and I looked absolutely awful to the point at which it, people were noticing it as I was walking down the road and it was very clear because sometimes you can convince yourself that they think you look good, it was really clear that they didn't. <laughs> so I,
0: I think I wore them three times and that was it. Then by the age of 19, you left the UK altogether and you went to Milan. Why? It's really funny because people assume I'm going to be a real
2: planner. You know, I think people think because you're in business that, you know, you've got everything laid out. Do you know what? The best stuff has happened to me when I haven't planned for it. And actually, if you think about entrepreneurs, they're about spotting opportunity and you can't plan for an opportunity. So my plan was to change my life. It wasn't what I was going to do. It's going to change the scenery and that was the first time that I did it I thought I'm going to go to Italy I don't really know what I'm going to do over there you know I don't have a lot of money so when I run out of money I'll have to do something won't I and that's exactly what happened so um so I, I went I had a ball I went over there at Vincent my ex-boyfriend was over there again he was he was living with a fashion designer and you know a great time we were clubbing all night and you know eating fantastic food and meeting lots of amazing people it was it was fantastic and then I ran out of money um so i had to do you know i had to do something and that's when i managed to convince four businesses at 19 years old that i was the person to bring their product into the uk i am amazed
0: that they that they, that they agreed with me but they did when you went out in italy and you went to a lovely restaurant and had like a plate of a food or you know and a gorgeous drink what would that be? What is it in your mind's eye?
2: I had a, a, a I'd call him a boyfriend, actually. He lasted two nights, but hey. <laughs> um, uh, he made me some um, spaghetti with oil and garlic and chilli, and it was I can tell you, know, I salivate yeah. now when I think about it because it was just it, the, it was just the ingredients were amazing. And I still eat that. You know, I will still have a, a lovely spaghetti with just oil and garlic and chili on it. And uh yeah, that's why I think I like Italian food that you can't hide
0: in Italian food. The ingredients have to be good. You know, you had the kind of time in Italy that a young gorgeous blonde lady who went to Italy when she was 19 would have you went out you had parties you had fun but then (laughs) you turned it around and ended up going in with your products and pitching to really really must have been very scary people
2: Well, I don't scare easily. And even then, I didn't scare easily. I think one of the things, um, when I look back on, I didn't know what I couldn't do. I didn't know what I wasn't supposed to do. The fact that I'd actually gone in to see these companies and said, I'm the person to take your products into the UK... I, I said it with such confidence. They were kind of, oh, OK, you know, yeah, great. And it was the same when I was selling the product. You know, I didn't know that you couldn't just sell into Harrods and Harvey Nichols. And, you know, I just thought that's what you did. <laughs> I just thought, there you are. There's the products. Buy them. um and, and it was, you know, it was successful. I did get into all of these big stores. But then the orders started drying up. And I realized that the Italian companies were actually selling directly into the stores and bypassing me. um And I could have spent my life taking them to court, arguing with them, and and that's another thing that I just discovered really early on. Life is too short. You know, I didn't have either the capital. Or I didn't really want to spend the time. That was I learned so much from that. I didn't like making the mistake. I didn't I lost money. I didn't like losing money. Um didn't want to do it again. And then I went on to my next thing which was a Stepanel franchise. And that came out of that. You know, that came out of my time in Italy. So I kind of have this view that you can learn something from absolutely everything you do and you probably learn more from your mistakes.
0: You come back from Italy and you run a variety of leisure businesses before coming to work for your family's holiday business, Weststar. Yeah. So when
2: I came back from Italy and I was kind of treading water for a bit, I was offered a concession at Butlins in Minehead. And I thought, well, let's give it a go. This is, you know. Um, So I did. So I ran a prize bingo for three years, I think. And I've got to tell you, I learned more running that bingo about business than. I think any other part of my life, you know, talk about your customers are right there, you know, and they are not afraid to tell you they're happy, they're unhappy, speed up, slow down. And also what I really learned is how important it is to remember people. Because I used to get customers come back year after year and, I might not remember their names, but I will remember them and I'll remember something about them and see what that did to them. That really taught me in life, you know, just pay attention. Don't let, because often when you get introduced to people, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, hello, how do you do? And then they move through your life and out again. And I've really learnt, you know, pay
0: attention because it counts to people. Bingo calling is performance. You can't stand up and be a sad, morose bingo caller.
2: I think you're right, Grace. I hadn't really thought about it, but it is performing. You are command. You've got a microphone in your hand. Because I've always been really comfortable. Um, I was really comfortable going onto television. It didn't bother me at all. I was comfortable going onto Strictly, although terrified when I was physically on the night, terrified. So I guess that kind of, you know, stopped me. I, I could stand up in the Royal Albert Hall and deliver a speech. I don't get nervous. I don't get, you know, as long as I'm speaking on something I know and I care about and I love then I can deliver it and I think it probably does come from that what number of bingo
0: makes people most excited
2: oh no we didn't do that see we did prize bingo so you're uh, to- that's cash bingo that you're talking about prize right. bingo is very different it's very quick so you're trying to get as quick games over as quickly as possible so that you can get on with the next game so you're literally you know so red 11 blue 32 white yeah, you've got me bingo calling I have not done that but... <laughs> so, I can still remember the lines. Yeah, you know, I can still actually remember the colours and the uh, and the winning lines. Yeah. So there was no two fat ladies eighty eight. Sorry, too long. That takes too long. By the time you said two fat ladies eighty eight, I'll have another three numbers out.
0: What I love is all these old ladies that go along to bingo, and all week they claim that they uh, can't hear and they can't see and they've got a bad heart, and then they go to prize <laughs> bingo. <laughs> And they could just. That's <laughs> like <this>. so true. <laughs> that is so true. And they would
2: play. I mean, some of my players were, were mathematical geniuses or some kind of, you know, a, amazing memories because they would sit and play eight cards. Yes. You know, and they sit there and, and you wouldn't even think they're paying attention. They just go bang, bang, you know, and they knew all of yeah. it. Amazing. Did you have a sparkly jacket? I didn't have a sparkly jacket, no. No, I was probably wearing my pink Kareem pants by then. Who needs a sparkly (laughs) jacket when you're wearing pink Kareem pants?
0: (laughs) When you were working for your family's leisure company, what what were the days like at work?
2: So uh, long and hard because it was um, seasonal businesses. You know, something would open at 8 o'clock in the morning and something would be open till 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, the nightclub would still be open. And as long as you've got customers, you've got opportunities for something to happen was it caravans caravans tents and tours um we had some bungalows so it was it was the full range really
0: so you're working night and day not much time to be distracted by anything except this young man called paul who comes (laughs) to work there tell me about paul um, so Paul was, um,
2: working for my father in his school, in his, um, uni break. So in his break from university. And to be fair, I didn't really, you know, I was working like crazy. So I didn't really pay an awful lot of attention to what was going on around me, but this very tall, striking guy walked through and I thought, Ooh, you don't, don't see many of those very often. So, um, so I, I was joking. I said to my sister, I, do you know, I saw a really, really, really nice guy today. And the next thing I know, Emma's bounced up to him and said, you fancy a coffee with my sister? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Paul and I had a cup of coffee together and um, here we are um, many years later.
0: So do you remember everything about that coffee?
2: Oh, I do. I know where we went, we went to the Avenue Creamery in Minehead. And I had toasted cheese sandwich with a huge amount of salt on top. We're probably back to salt and marmite, and a really lovely frothy coffee. They did make really nice frothy coffee. And then for afters, I had um, Turkish delight ice cream with clotted, uh, ice cream sandwich with clotted cream on top. Who would forget that? I nearly forgot Paul, but I never forget a Turkish delight <laughs> ice cream clotted cream sandwich. <laughs>
0: And the rest is history. Paul is still around. Paul is still around. Yeah, we. Um, I. I mean,
2: you. I would never have dreamt that. And I was never getting married. I wasn't having children. You know, that was just not on my. Not that I planned anything, but it just wasn't on my agenda. That wasn't. You know, was wasn't what I was intending in life. So we were together about seven years, and then Paul issued me with an ultimatum. He said, "Look, are we going to get married or not?" And I said, "Not." <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so he went fine. That's the end of that then. So it it was important to him. He wanted it to be official. Yeah, and, and you didn't.
2: I didn't, and I didn't,
0: and you know, I used to say, look, Paul, it wouldn't.
2: It, listen, getting married won't make any difference, and then we'd have this circular conversation. Like, well, if it isn't going to make any difference, then let's get married. You right. know, yeah, you know, we'd go. On. So anyway, he 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 sort of issued me with an ultimatum, and I'm not good at ultimatums, so. Um, I went off to Venezuela with my sister Emma, had an absolute ball, and then, then thought, oh, damn, I, I quite like Paul. I actually, I actually... Anyway, I then came back and, um, and it wasn't, he wasn't going to have me back straight away. I had to work a little bit and I had to
0: work hard at that. So <laughs> we got back together. But what was it about Paul that made you think, I've got to go back, I've got to be with him?
2: Paul feels like home to me. I don't think home's particularly for me a static place. I think it's where I feel at my happiest, uh, at my most comfortable, and that's being with Paul. We're we're great friends. We're very very different, but it seems to work. We're both of us very independent, and I think it has worked with Paul because we both need our space. And we, you know, we're if I if I'm filming for two weeks, we don't even speak to each other. You know, we don't phone each other every night. We don't need to. And I think I realised that I'd found somebody quite special in that,
0: you know, in that way. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. He doesn't come out to events. He doesn't do red carpets. Oh, he hates red carpet very
2: early on. <laughs> I took him to a Sky event, really, really early on in Dragon's Den, and my PA mistakenly thought it was black tie. And uh, and Paul and I got dressed up to the absolute yeah I know he is wearing a DJ and we turn up and actually the press were a little bit rude and they were kind of you know you you've seen what they can be like Grace they're a bit like can you can you stand over there we want a photograph of her yeah you know? yeah, boy, yeah a bit annoyed by that and he's six foot five you know it's not like he can quietly slink away and then when we went in somebody ordered a drink from him <laughs> I think that might be that might be the moment where he thought this isn't for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can hear the rest of me and Deborah Maiden in one minute.
1: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of a Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
0: In 1993, you and Paul married. And shortly after that, you became managing director of Weststar. And in the years that follow, you expanded the business before it sold for 33 million in 2005. So the next year, you're invited to join BBC Two's Dragon's Den, where for anybody that doesn't know what Dragon's Den is, entrepreneurs pitch business ideas to a panel of investors. Why did you want to be a dragon? Completely randomly, I got a telephone call from Dragon's
2: Den and I watched Dragon's Den and I really loved it and they asked me if I'd do it and I said no. Um, I had built a very nice life out of the limelight. I really didn't want to have to start to behave in a different way or people have an opinion of me that, you know, that, well, I just didn't, I didn't want all that. But they persisted. And eventually I went for a screen test with Duncan Bannertine and Richard Farley and I had an absolute ball. And at that stage, I switched from thinking, I really can't be, I don't want to do this, to thinking, if I don't get this, I am going to be furious. Um, And
0: sure enough, they offered it to me. I think that's what bamboozles a lot of people when they think about coming into a great amount of money. Like, where does that drive come from to carry on? Was there never just a temptation? just to kick back? No. You could be sitting on an island just sunbathing. Yeah, but I don't like sitting on an island sunbathing. Give me any day of the
2: week, give me the interaction amongst entrepreneurs. They're smart, creative, opportunistic people coming up with sometimes crazy and often brilliant ideas that actually... Certainly change people's lives if they don't change the world. You know, it's what isn't exciting about that. And you can see it when I get into Dragon's Den, you know, however many years I think maybe this is my last year. I sit in that chair, somebody comes in front of me and I think, oh, that's great. That's either that's rubbish or that's amazing or it lights me up. Business lights me up. It feels like it's not about the money. Well, it's easy to say it's not about the money when you made the money, because, of course, at one point it was definitely about the money. But it gets to a stage where I, I'm not being funny, but how much money do you need? Now, um, there are business opportunities that I don't care how many millions of pounds they would make me. I'm not interested. My money is not going to become my manager. It's not going to make me behave differently.
0: When I'm a MasterChef, I always think I look a lot harder than I am. And I always, I worry, like I worry about them when they come in. I worry about them, so. Do you think that you're edited in Dragon's Den fairly to look like you? Well, it is true that um, some of those pictures last three hours
2: and we do cut them an awful lot more slack than appears because but they have got to get their act together because business is tough we're also judging how would you be in a difficult situation so you know there, there's a little more I always smile as people walk through the doors you know and if they stumble a bit one of us will say you know take a breath but only for so long because they do have to get their act together does it bother me how I'm edited no it doesn't bother me because nobody is one thing and that me in the den is definitely me, and it is definitely part of me, but it's only part of me. And I think that the longer I've been on television and the, the ways that people have seen me in different spaces, I think it's helped people understand that. I know we're actually meant to be talking
0: about comfort foods, but I can't not ask. So when you have a night out with the dragons, is it a fancy restaurant affair Do you all go somewhere and have a private dining room or the chef's table?
2: So when we're filming, we go out every night together. So I probably go out with the Dragons more than I go out with anybody else. You know, 20 nights filming. It is posh. We generally go to the Ivy. We do get a private dining because, you know, it's quite difficult to eat with people coming up and pitching businesses to you. But
0: uh, it's also two minutes from the studios in Manchester. How do a bunch of dragons behave at dinner, around a table? Is it, is it one-upmanship of things that you've done? Oh. Which one's the braggy one? Which one's the braggy
2: one? Um, no one, nobody. We're all, listen, we're all dragons. We're all equal. Honestly, there are no, there are no braggers. What's the point? Oh, I'm not so big, good. no, I'm not, I genuinely, what's the point? Do you share food? Well, we used to, when it was pre-COVID times, we used to, except Peter Jones used to, we used to go to Ashes sometimes, an Indian restaurant in Manchester. And uh, there was one dish that Peter would order and he'd order it and say, I'm not sharing. We'd all laugh. And then you'd look at it and you'd think, oh, you're not sharing, are you? No, you're genuinely
0: not sharing. (laughs) So, yeah. When you're away from the spotlight, away from the cameras. So you're, you know, you're a person who could eat like a queen every day. Do you think that, money has changed your tastes at all?
2: I don't think so.
0: I don't... Listen, I actually...
2: Paul has always been a fabulous, fabulous cook. I don't have to go out and eat in the smartest restaurants. I've just left him staring at an sort of Ottolengi recipe book um, because we've got friends down this weekend, you know. So he, So I'm really, really lucky that I get all of those tastes. But every now and then, I just want baked beans and jacket potatoes... And it's, you know, it's, it's really hard because he's, he will have created something amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but I want my potato cheese.
0: <laughs> I love a jacket potato. <laughs> Baked beans and
2: jacket potato. Daddy sauce. <laughs> yeah.
0: There you go. Daddy, daddy sauce. sauce. See, that's the first time daddy sauce has been mentioned. None of this HP stuff. It's way too fruity. When Paul's not there, how on earth do you eat if you don't cook? you just sit and wait for him to come back. No, I well, <laughs> well there was a
2: bit of that. He used to make food, I genuinely used to make meals for me if he went away. And uh, and he came back one day and he saw a sandwich in the fridge and he thought, that brilliant, Deborah's actually assembled some food. And then he looked closer and it was actually a chocolate sandwich which consisted of two bits of cheap white bread with a milker. You know that milker chocolate? Yeah, it's delicious. Swiss chocolate, yeah. <laughs> literally slapped in the middle of it and that was what I was eating and I hadn't touched any of the meals he made for me <laughs> so uh, no I, I assemble food so I will always have I'll have things like hummus and olives I will always have something that I can put together on a plate and my my plant based sausages there you go with my marmite on top i have always have something that I can assemble never in a million years would I have guessed
0: that was what was going to come out of that tray today <laughs> There you go. Deborah Meaden, thank you for comfort eating with me.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me. I've had the best best time and the best food.
0: (laughs) This episode was produced by Hannah Moore. The series producer is Leah Green. And the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Music is by Axel Kokutier And sound design by Samuel Anani. This was the last episode in Series 1 of Comfort Eating. It has been so much fun. Thank you for all of your kind words and for listening. Make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss Series 2. Thank you to my wonderful team. We are now off to celebrate with a big pile of sausage rolls and glasses of Vimto. This is The Guardian.